0: It's the Basketball Hall of Fame's Legends Podcast. I'm Kyle Belanger. Joining me today is a trailblazer of legendary proportions. She's a 1994 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame and a three-time All-American. She scored 3,199 career points at Montclair State, where she averaged 38.6 points per game in a single season, a college scoring record, and 31.7 points per game over her career, also, a record. She is a World University Games gold medalist and has held some of the highest positions imaginable and some of the highest basketball offices imaginable in the NBA and the WNBA. She is, of course, Blaze, Carol Jowski. Blaze, thanks so much for spending some time with us today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Carl. It was nice hearing all the things I did so many years ago. <laughs>
0: Which is funny because, uh, you know, we'll sort of talk about this in a little while. But the story of of Blaze, as we know it, starts when you're 18 at Montclair State. And there were 18 years before that when young Carol was becoming a young Blaze. Do you remember sort of when the moment was, what, what those early moments were like in New Jersey, Picking up a ball, realizing that the light was going on, realizing that this was something much more than just a fun little thing to do in the driveway, that, that Blaze was being born?
1: Well, I didn't have a consciousness of it. I, uh, I just had a, a sheer joy and passion for the game and hope that it would take me somewhere. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a proponent of hard work uh, and vision and planning, and, um, and as I... You know, grew up in the streets of uh, Cranford, playing my, you know, from court to court, bouncing my ball around. I just felt that someday that uh, I could make some sort of career out of the game. And I got to remember, way back then, uh, women were not um, really uh, that vested in the game of basketball. I was really uh, pretty much the lone soldier out there playing with all the guys. Um, But I think if, if I really had to pinpoint a time frame, I would say that it was. I really jump-started my career when I was a, um, a sophomore in college. Up until that point, I had played all sports—softball, uh, uh, basketball—and you know, really, really got com- committed and serious uh, about uh, getting to the next level when I was when I was uh, right after my freshman year in, in college.
0: And in, in Blaze, there are a couple of, you know, sort of wonderful, part of your story is is so legendary. I mean, there is a reason why all of these legends have grown is because of of the excellence of that jump shot. So there are a couple of different legends that I want to ask you if they are in fact true as written and as told. The first, of course, is that your jump shot came sort of as a eureka moment. You're watching ball on TV. You see a jump shot. You decide that your shot needs to look that way. And then, of course, we get, thankfully, one of the greatest jump shots of all time from Carol Blazjowski. Did it really happen from a TV moment that gave you sort of the technique that you, you then started to mimic?
1: Well, that was some of it, but it was also came uh, in the schoolyards. You know, I would I would see players, you know, come through schoolyards, um... All the time, and then if I saw something that I liked about their game, not necessarily just shooting, but any part of their game, I would really mirror and imitate. Um, And so, but I knew that I wanted to make my mark at scoring and shooting the ball. Uh, You got all the glory that way. You know, I later learned that defense really wins basketball games, but um, uh, so I watched a lot on TV, and I also uh, just, you know, in, in my practical experience playing on the courts. If I saw something I liked, I adopted it, and uh, and then I really refined it. Uh, so it was a combination; it wasn't any one particular person. It was just a combination of things to uh, uh, to model my shot.
0: And at Moncler, um, obviously, the legend really took off. Not only were you a three time All American, but you're also the first ever Wade Trophy winner as the best women's college player in the country. Uh, you're the greatest scorer from C to sea. C. Um, it, it was such an exciting and monumental time. But you mentioned sort of that that moment in history. You are, you know, in the wake, the immediate wake of Title IX. Those were the formative years of the game as we know it now. Can you give us a sense of the spirit around those teams at Montclair four, five years after Title IX and the way that you all were starting to garner that that national attention? Yeah, well, Title IX, you know, while it was legislation in 1972, uh, people really
1: didn't feel the, the effects of it until well after that, you know, uh, 10, 20 years after that. And so so during my tenure in college, um, you know, there were glimpses of it, but I really didn't get the benefit of it until later in my work life when I developed a business career in, in the game of basketball. But the excitement, the newness, uh, the new frontier, the curiosity, that's where... Uh, The media took hold, the local community took hold, and it was kind of like an awakening of the social consciousness of of the basketball community, the the, the female uh, basketball community. And so everyone wanted to support it at that time and kind of galvanize that momentum. And so we felt it here at Montclair State. uh, We would sell out the gyms. uh, We started playing really good ball and then, you know, being showcased on the national platform, uh, and then garnered more more media attention. But at that time, it was really driven by curiosity, and then behind the scenes, the Title IX movement was really starting to push it forward. And then the media would kind of combine uh, those two discussions, okay, the great talent of women's basketball, and then the subplot behind it was the Title IX movement. So um, it was starting to dovetail very nicely.
0: And then of course it helps that uh Blaze is scoring fifty-two points in Madison Square Garden, right? I mean, so there's that there's those oh, like- and there's that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are and there are those amazing moments. Um, you know, your career is is one of consistent excellence, but also just these Explosions like that night in 1978 when you set the Madison Square Garden record, scoring 52 points in a game against Queens College. Do you remember that night feeling like something special was afoot, or, or was that just another night at the office for Blaze?
1: Um, It was, I didn't feel anything special uh, early on. I felt more anxiousness, nerves, uh, excitement uh, to be able to play in, in the in the world's most famous arena. And then a little bit of pressure, quite frankly. Not only pressure uh, to win the game, but also a little bit of pressure to play at our best. Uh, we had um, a pretty big audience uh, in, in the crowd that night at, at 10,000. And so, you know, we knew that uh, this was our one... Moment in the spotlight that we had to perform and deliver. If we uh, were going to really get the media and get people to turn turn heads and really take us to the next level. So, but as the game went on, it was um, it was uh, it was just business as usual. You know, you're in those four lines and you're just focused on the game and it's all about winning and executing. And it wasn't until later in the game um, when you know we started to turn the corner, we were losing. Uh, I wasn't playing all that well but in the second half uh something just ignited and and I kind of got in that zone with the rest of my teammates and went on to uh to score the record fifty two points. it's uh, most for a college game, not in pros, you know, the record was beaten by the pros. But uh at that point it was I didn't I wasn't aware of it until after the, the game, uh, because I've always had that uh mentality, and I don't care how much you're up by, but until that buzzer rings, the game is not over. And then, of course, all the fanfare started, and the photographers, and the and, and the media, and then it was like, wow, what just happened? So, um, never really realizing it would be a milestone moment in my career, and, and quite frankly, uh, for women's
0: basketball. It's remarkable, too, because so much of the things we're talking about, uh, you know, happen... Before you know, before your fortieth birthday, you know you're, we're still talking about twenty-one-year-old Carol Blazejowski, and and the career is really just getting started. So, before we get to sort of the the post-playing life, which is you know WNBA, NBA, business world, I have one final question about your playing career in nineteen eighty. You know you you're a gold medalist at the World University Games, you're a uh, Team USA veteran, but in nineteen eighty there is that, you know, there is that moment where you're named to the Olympic team and then the boycott happens. Was, mm-hmm. was, was that, was that a hard, uh, a hard cavity to overcome in, in, in your sort of basketball journey to not have that, that Olympic experience? Or was there just so much going on for you that, I don't know, maybe, maybe it wasn't that hard to get, to get, to get past.
1: Oh, no, it was it was extremely hard. I mean, think about, you know, now that you're on a roll and things are starting to happen in women's basketball, you're playing for Team USA, and the pinnacle at that point was the Olympics, you know, getting a spot on the Olympic team, competing for a gold medal, and then the whole world kind of uh, blows up on you, and, and, and now you have nothing. Mm-hmm. You've uh, trained. Uh, you've had the focus and the vision um, to you know make that team and represent your country and that's the only thing that you're you know you zeroed in on and then all of a sudden it comes crushing down on you so for me it was a it was a hard hard moment um and one, it took a long time uh, to get over and it, it wasn't just me i mean I, I felt you know of my of my not only my basketball teammates but my olympic teammates who were going to compete you know in all different sports at that point there was just this uh uh, halo of sorrow and and uh and disappointment and frustration and anger quite frankly. Um and then like everything in, in life, uh time heals all wounds. Uh and you realize um much year many, many years later that it you know, you still made the Olympic team, you know, it was conditions out of your control that we didn't go there. So you you are still an Olympian whether we competed or not. So um that's still on my resume. It's still on many of the athletes' resume. And uh, it's a very proud moment for me. So, yeah, while we didn't compete, I'm, I'm still an
0: Olympian. Absolutely, absolutely, and and so now professionally, your career not only includes you know life as a player, uh, but also life as an executive, both at the NBA and those early WNBA years with the with the New York Liberty. And I think so much about the way that that league has developed into I think the most exciting and socially conscious professional sports league in all of North America. And could you see it early on, in, in, when you were working with the New York Liberty, that this was the right time, that this was the right thing, and that the acceleration was going to be quick once the public bought in?
1: Uh, I could see it. I, I, uh, I did it with my own career. There was nothing, and then it blossomed into you know a terrific uh, playing experience with lots of opportunities. So I had the hope, the faith, and the confidence that this would be the same. Uh, thing that would be happening for the league, we had some great support behind it, and in the in the NBA, David Stern's vision, Val Ackerman's leadership, and um, and the time was right. We were coming off uh, a nineteen ninety six gold medal for for basketball for, for the women, and so uh, it was the perfect launch pad for us to go out into the marketplace with the professional league. And and the league certainly is so much more than just a professional women's basketball league. You know, it, you talk about social responsibility, role models, I mean, it does so much, so much more uh, for our society and I, you know, people scoffed when I said we'll be around longer than five years. You'll see. And people scoffed and said you'll never make it till five years. Uh, but you know, it's the commitment of so many, so many folks that uh, believed in the sport. And now it's the job of those uh, those players once they retire and they go out into the into the world uh, to help support the league. You know, buy tickets, spread the word. And it's 21 years now. Um, when a lot of folks never gave us five. So I'm not surprised in the least. I think it's in good hands with their leadership they currently have there. I know the players are only getting better. And um, so, you know, I look forward to the next one.
0: Finally, Blaze, what does it mean to be working with the Hall of Fame at this stage in your life?
1: Oh, my God, it's an honor. It's, a, it's an honor. It is, um, I'm so proud. To have the affiliation. I'm so proud to work with the folks there that um, are doing so much to promote the game of basketball. And any way that I can help, uh, play my little role uh, in spreading the good word and garnering support for the Hall of Fame uh, for those ahead of us, for those behind us, for those who are no longer with us. I mean, it's um, a, you know, it's like my badge of honor. So. I'm proud to be a member of it, I'm proud to support it, and, uh, and um, you know, every time uh,
0: I hear the name, I smile. <laughs> well, you, she is a member of more Halls of Fame than many people have visited, uh, and she is Carol Blazejowski, three-time All-American, a former NBA, WNBA exec, she's gone back home to Montclair University, and she is a trailblazer of legendary proportions, enshrined into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 1994. Carol Blazowski, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: All right, thanks again.